Mm. I mean, well, you want to have a crab's delicious biscuits that she's made from her new cookbook. It's mm. really good. Moroccan surprise. Mm. It's kind of like a chocolate spice cookie, a bit of orange, mm. and a sour cherry centre. Oh, I just mm. got the sour cherry in the yeah. centre. Yeah, you did. Mm. I soaked those in booze mm. so my children wouldn't be able to eat them. Mm. What a vicious mm. mother I am. Delicious. Hey, um, can I talk about Shane Warne? <laughs> you know that I want you to. Um, I haven't interviewed Shane Warne yet, but I am going to be, I'm so I'll call fill him you in about the that. second Mr. Sales throughout this conversation. I've always been fascinated by Shane Warne. He's always been top of my interview wish list, and I am interviewing him shortly. So as preparation for that, I've read his new book called No Spin, which is sort Brilliant of title. Ghost, Obvious, a fantastic title. Uh, ghost written by Mark Nicholas, who's a well-known former cricket player, cricket commentator. It's fantastic. I wonder how the ghost writing process works with Warney. It was you just, just go around and smoke a pack of nails? 35 hours of conversations. And I think because Warn knows Nicholas, it, it genuinely is no spin. He talks about absolutely everything, including your favourite anecdote that you had to cover when you were in London about him um, going out for a massive night and being caught in a sort of news of the world. It wasn't a sting. They just sold it. It wasn't the a sting. It was, two, it was stingish, though. It, it was stingish. Sting. Yeah. It, it was, was two, two busty ladies with an inflatable sex doll and a, and a camera <laughs> who sold it to news of the world. But, and so, what if we film this? All right. Go he, for it. What he tells this anecdote from He was in the middle end. of a five day cricket match. Went straight, the the, he he went, says, went straight from the hotel, slept at the cricket gown, bowled seven for 99. Absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> anyway, so he tells that from his end. He tells all of the sca- Warney scandals from Warney's end. It really genuinely he is. talk about the journalist that hung outside his house in Southampton <laughs> day after day playing Travel Connect 4 with a really pissed off photographer I was and looking, never getting a photograph of him? I was looking for a mention of you, but sadly he didn't make the cut. Um, it, it, it lives up to Worst the title. Worst day of my journalistic life, I reckon. I kept knocking on that door <laughs> oh. and Simone was inside with the kids oh, and she God. always sent the kids to answer the door. I'm oh. like, wow. I'm now officially a grub guy. It's been, hi, kids. No, never mind. Did um, the kids write the last chapter? Did and they, they write their observations about really? Shane as their dad? Wow. They're awesome Did they mention kids. me? I met them about eight times. Want <laughs> <laughs> to come out and play Travel Connect 4 in this hatchback oh, with me and the cross photographer kids? Oh, God. No. Um, fair enough. The kids are, I mean, full credit to Shane and Simone for the, for the way the kids have turned out because they have this incredible – maturity in the way they talk about Shane as their dad and they absolutely love and adore him and they actually seem to like understand him really well. Right, so they're a bit like, he's a duffer but he's our dad. Yeah. yeah. They're like, yep, he, dad's done things over his life that have really hurt us and puzzled us and, you know, caused us stress and dramas. Um, but we sort of get. It's still bold seven for. Yeah, we, we sort of get that that's what dad's like and we. Love him and, I mean, I just thought if I was Shane and I read that, it would have been like I reckon the most reassuring 10 minutes of my life reading yeah, that chapter right. about how my kids view me. It's a bit ter- um, terrifying about parenting technique though. Like maybe we oh. should be a bit more negligent. <laughs> they turn out better. <laughs> maybe we should have a few more, um, you know, trios in hotel rooms with um, well, I mean, people with inflatable sex what, toys. again? <laughs> soon, We've done it? so much of that. I feel like what, I have to do more of it. No, but the book genuinely is – I think Mark Nicholas. You are such a fraud. Like, seriously. I, mean, I loved it. You are like, you know nothing about cricket. You know nothing squared about cricket. <laughs> but you're not even interested in the cricket, are you? You're just like. I, I am interested about- in talent. I like people who are talented and I like hearing about how they do things. One of the most fascinating things for me in this book 
Hang on, I'll just swallow your biscuit that yes. I just shoved in my mouth. Um, Swallowing your biscuit, the Lee Sales story. I remember years ago no, reading I'm just thinking this. of like really catchy titles for your tell-all memoir. <laughs> what story would you tell in your tell-all memoir that you've never told before? <laughs> hey, what story? I'll have to give that some thought. Um, we, as we've discussed before, our- 100 bucks for me not to tell it right now. <laughs> 200. There's a couple it's going to go up by 100. There's a couple every of every second that you're delaying. <laughs> um, as I know, and I know you agree, the best sort of memoir is where the person has no filter at all. Yeah. And they don't seem to have an eye to how they're going to be perceived. Up, yeah. yeah. Page one of Warney's memoir uh, reveals that he's only had two serious relationships in his life with Simone and Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah. He says something like, you know, I've always been someone who's lived in the moment without regard for the consequences and that served me pretty well depending on the moment. Um, And then he tells this great anecdote about how Kerry Packer at one stage said to him, mate, just sell that blue blue Ferrari and just lie low for a while, lay low for a while. And um, Shane says, so I took his advice, I sold the blue Ferrari and I got a silver one instead. I've never been one for laying low. And like he just, it's all in that sort of tone. Mark Nicholas has done a brilliant job, I think, of capturing his voice. And because obviously Warren knows and trusts Mark Nicholas, he's been prepared to just blurt everything. And I just, I've always liked him because I think he, he's never pretended to be anything he's not. And he's yeah. entertaining and interesting. And there's yeah. pretty pitiful few people you can actually say that of frankly in public life um and also the, the sorry the cricket talent i do have a soft spot for sports memoirs and maybe it's because i don't know much about sport and so it's all very interesting to me so warren talks a lot about the psychology of his game and how mm. he would try to get into people's heads on the field and it was so usually by shagging their wives <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll do it <laughs> no it was just things like he said I remember years ago reading in um, an extract from Kevin Peterson, the British cricketer's memoir. Yeah. He's, he talked about <laughs> just like, just, sorry, the just ridiculous fraudulence of you pretending to be. <laughs> I have read. Are they? Is it in the bin now? <laughs> just is in the bin now. Just isn't let it? me talk about Warney. I just want to talk about Warney. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you say something, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Peterson said, Warn had this unbelievable skill for just messing with your head and so you could be on the pitch he bowls to you you've smashed him for a six into the stands and he said Warren will carry on with the oh like he just almost got you out and then he'll be just saying things to you like oh mate had you not connected with that you were so out and just be going on and on to the degree that you'd find yourself all rattled and like god was that nearly out oh bloody hell oh god you just bowled the guy smashed the guy for a six and yet he was able to Get in your head that you felt like the one who was under threat, not him. And so then Your deployment of cricket terminology throughout this anecdote is really (laughs) impressive. You've got pitch, smash, six. Now I know what are the three closest positions like what are the three closest fielding positions to wicket? Slips. Yeah. First slip, second slip. (laughs) Silly mid on. Silk slip, satin slip. Also now I know (laughs) spin ball terminology. Wrongen, flipper. I know more. Leg spin. Um So Warney talks about, he says, when I got on the field, what I liked to do was create an atmosphere of uncertainty and preferably an atmosphere of chaos. Wow. And then he talks about how he would do that. And so it was like, like Survivor. It was fantastic. So it could be things as little as just staring at somebody, just <laughs> refusing to stop looking at them just the whole time just to rattle them or um, – 
just going and talking to the captain about absolutely nothing, like nothing to do with play, but just to slow the play down and then walking back like as if you've just changed, you know, ah, tactics or right, something. Yeah. Or moving a fielder into a position where you knew you had absolutely no intention that the ball was going to go, but you just Just to wig the him out. All right. God, that so, is very interesting. And then, of course, just all the sledging and stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah, it was really, really. Why are you so fat? Because every time I shag your wife, she gives me a biscuit. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, it was fantastic. Just, I'm just going to intersperse something that it just reminded me of. There's a great essay, I think, by Martin Amos about chess. He's a, he and Julian Barnes are both obsessed with chess. And um, just looking at the kind of things that professional chess players do to wig each other out. And it's like hilarious, like just wearing a hat or just oh. like emitting a slow humming noise or, yeah. It's so, it's really fascinating all that sort of psychology of you do that um, to interviewees though don't you sometimes where you're just like well I've certainly been studying Shane Warne to try to work out because I think the problem for me is going to be your environment's predictable right like it's always going to look the same no what do you mean I mean your interview environment like no because we will change like location sometimes right. and if, if you do it say at someone's house they like put someone in a meat locker <laughs> What do you no, mean by this? Is if you do nothing? it on someone nothing? else's turf, they yeah. feel more. So we're doing worn at the MCG, so hopefully that'll put okay. it to ease. But I think these days, because I've been doing 7.30 for a while and a lot of Australians who come in to be interviewed by me often will know me by yeah. reputation or they've watched the show or whatever. Mm. And so it's a lower bar for me to build rapport because mm. they already have a sense mm. of who I am. Um, but... With Shane Warne, I remember a few years ago I was on um, Dave Hughes and Kate Langbrook's show and they said, who would you most like to interview? Who's top of your wish list? And I said, Shane Warne, yeah. who always has been. Um, because I think for all the reasons I said before, he's a really unique character and with the exception of Michael Parkinson, I feel like I haven't seen Warney interviewed in a way that I think someone of his yep. um, status in cricket and Australian life deserves. Um Anyway, they said, are you joking? Shane Warne is the top of anyone in the world. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, God, surely we can make that happen. So they started a bit of a campaign of, you know, tweeting Warney yeah. or whatever, and then they made him ring in. And he was like, who is Lee Sales? I don't even know who you're talking about. He had no idea who I was. So, like, you know, clearly he's not a viewer of ABC. And, if you've been you know. on, like, Dance Boss or something, <laughs> you'd be all over not, it. If I was on Tinder, he might <laughs> recognise my profile. But <laughs> You are on Tinder. It's just, oh, sorry. <laughs> just under Flora's fancies. Yeah. Um, so it's he's the exotic gonna, aisle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm just thinking through all my warning prep because it's really preoccupying me. Um, he's going to come in. He doesn't know who I am from a bar of soap. If he knows anything about me at all, he'll know that I'm that sort of humorless punish on seven thirty that yeah. hammers people. Yeah. So I think that um, my fear is that he might be a little bit on the defensive and that it'll be hard to build rapport. And I suspect that all of the normal things that I rely on to charm people. Like just being like throwing their books away, <laughs> throwing their books away, and um, what is your charm? What does your charm offensive look like? <laughs> just out of curiosity, <laughs> not having been Never a used it on you. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think if you can make people laugh, that that warms them up very easily. So, um, like just fart joke, what, fart so gags, yeah. <laughs> putting a whoopee cushion on there to seed. I find usually works an absolute treat. No, I think if you show that you've read the person's work or seen yeah, their right. work or whatever, yeah. that obviously obviously goes a long way. Um, People that are very practised at interviews or that, or that don't like the media, who've had bad experiences like Shane Warne, can be much harder to get through to. Yeah. So I'm a bit worried about how to build rapport with him. So well, I'm, could just do it I've been studying. Way when a lady meets Shane Warne. <laughs> get, get the jugglies out building. and texts. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, anyway, I really I can't wait to do it. And the book was bloody 
excellent. I really God, we, highly we, recommend it. We've now talked for 20 minutes about Shane Warne. I know. Just, I just, it's, it's, uh, can yeah. I even the score by yes. saying that I too have read a memoir recently? Yes. And it's of Anne Summers. So there'll oh, be yeah. absolutely zero overlap <laughs> in the old Venn diagram. I, I really <laughs> hope Shane Warne's not listening because that's the sort of thing that's going to make it harder for me to build rapport. Okay. You know, if I'm friends with people who read Anne Summers memoirs. <laughs> but he would just say, Anne Summers, I love Who's her that? underwear store. <laughs> G-bangers, awesome. <laughs> That's It's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, what's it like? Look, so I was sent the book and um, <laughs> that's just the perfect segue. Like who – we couldn't have engineered that. <laughs> yeah. wonder if Anne Summers, you know, I mean she must – just roll her eyes occasionally that she oh. shares a name with a well, look, like a with foxy Warren, lingerie chain in the UK because like it's like yeah. being called Victoria's Secret or She'd something. Be like, I would have thought you, Annabelle Crabbe and Lee Sales, could just not lift go it there, beyond there. But, but yeah. we're there, we're there, and we're staying here. Um, so, yeah. so the publisher sent me this book and you know said, oh, you know, would you be interested in reading it and providing a, a kind of comment. Oh, by the way, it's like 450 pages long. And so I'm like, oh, God. And it's sort of like, due Monday. And I thought, so to be honest, I did feel a bit kind of like, oh, here we go. Because, you know, memoirs, particularly when they're long, yeah. can be troublesome. I should not have doubted this woman. It, Not that I did. I just thought that's a long book. But I raced through it. Wow. And I was like hiding from the children in the bathroom to read it. It was just like it's so interesting. Her life is incredible. You know, like you sort of remember bits of things that Anne Summers has done. Like you go, oh, yeah, she was the sex discrimination commissioner. She was um, Keating's advisor, you know, on affirmative action, women and so on. So you remember all that stuff um, a bit the life that she's lived is just absolutely extraordinary. Like grew up in Adelaide um, with a pretty restrictive father, like ran away to Sydney and just became this sort of large living journalist, um, absolutely pioneering early journalism work, moved to New York, then moved to Canberra, became the first woman to head up the um, Financial Review Bureau, got in a massive Barney with Malcolm Fraser, got banned from his plane that was taking this overseas trip. She had to fly commercial, like chasing this plane, then got accused of um, of uh, espionage with the Russians, like there's just so many wow, great yarns awesome. in this book. And, and what it really tells you about, apart from her, is just all of these phases of Australian journalism and Australian feminism. She just charts these incredible movements and it's just full of characters and incredible anecdotes. She's really honest um, about herself, her relationships, her jobs, debacles that she encountered, times that she was in despair, the, she puts her boob job in there. Like it's all like, you know, put it on the list of wow. things you didn't know about Anne Summers. But um, it's just this, there's this sort of tough candour about it that is really attractive and like, you know, um, and the most extraordinary episode is, of course, when she goes to New York and buys Ms Magazine from Gloria Steinem and – you know, it was a tough and ultimately, you know, they had um, lots of trials, a few successes, but then it ultimately folded. Um, and it was just 
Yeah, it's intoxicating. Oh, that I sounds just, great. Yeah, it's a really good read. I loved it and I just, yeah, raced through it. So, oh, that sounds really good. And I, I, felt, I felt really moved at the end of it actually because I just thought this is a woman who has always sort of said yes to life. Mm. She's had heaps of disappointments, heaps of moments of raw terror, you know, what am I doing, can I do this? And she always does it even if it's scary and even if it ends in failure. Um, and she's had lots of triumphs, of course, too. But it just I, – it, it really provides a lot of bang for, for its buck, this memoir. I really loved it. Oh, that sounds good. I have a lot of um, respect for her. I think she's – and, and I've always found her personally very encouraging – like yeah. she's quite a generous person. Yeah, she is, um, yeah. Which is real up towards younger women. And which it's is generous, like the, the book is generous too. Like it shares a lot and, um, yeah. Do you know what I also read while I was schlepping around the country on my book tour? Um, Nine Perfect Strangers by oh, Leanne Moriarty. Leanne, Leanne Moriarty. Look, um, it hasn't had great word of mouth, I've got to say. Really? I've spoken to a lot of people who haven't loved it. Um I'm halfway through it at the moment and somebody said to me, oh, you're about to get a twist, it's going to really jumps the shark, blah, blah, blah. I, I am quite enjoying it so far. The premise mm. is um, people who have gone to a wellness retreat for oh, various right, okay. reasons. I mean, I think it's an excellent premise yeah. for a book. Um, and the- of Bridget Delania's excellent book, Wellmania, which is <laughs> yeah. like this incredibly funny account of, you know, the best bumbler in Australia, Bridget Delaney, <laughs> going to, yeah. Um, so these people show up um, at a retreat. It's run by a woman who had a near-death experience, you know, a couple of decades earlier where she had a heart attack. She was massively overweight, pre-diabetic, blah, right. blah, blah. And she's then, that experience has caused her to utterly transform her life and become like this wellness goddess who now runs this retreat. You know, it's one of those things you go to, you detox, you hand in your phone and your electronic devices and blah, blah, blah. Oh, and so it's following. It's getting hives even thinking about it. It's following the journeys of the various, God, I hate the word journeys, of the various people who um, are attending and, and the reasons that they're doing it. I mean, so far I'm finding it like all of Leanne Moriarty's books, I think, really finely observed and there's little bits of humour yeah. and recognisability in all the characters. I, I really like her um, work. The, where I'm up to now, as I said, about halfway through, I, I have been sort of for a while feeling like when's something going to happen? Right, okay. Um, but It's about yeah. to be a massive twist. Apparently so. Anyway, Sarah so McDonald sort of, said yeah. to me there's a, there's, a, um, there's a hack about Saving your relationship in there, that's brilliant. Maybe you haven't got to that bit yet. No, I haven't. So, okay. Um, So, look, I'm finding it sort of okay. Um, Okay. Not that given that Leanne Moriarty sells. I'm finding it okay. You'll be be approached for a jacket (laughs) quote. Given that Leanne Moriarty sells like eight squillion um, copies of every book. She doesn't need to know whether I think it's okay or not, frankly. Um, Can I quickly rattle through a few other things before we run out of time? Yep. Also on the road, I watched um, season four of Line of Duty, which is a cop show, British cop show I've talked to you about before. It's the anti-corruption unit that's Steve Arnott and Kate. um, And it's it's a good, reliable um, police procedural. Like it's a good thing. If you're looking for something to watch that's going to hold your attention, not be too demanding, Line of Duty is a good thing to do, right? Um, If you're on a plane trip or or whatever. Right. I also watched on a long flight – Episode one of the latest season of Wentworth All with right, our friend <laughs> Um And it is – they've just maintained the quality on that show. I think they're up to about season six. It's just a very, very, very good show. Hard not to maintain your line of quality when you've got – Yeah, it was great. So I enjoyed that. And I watched two episodes of – in fact, I'm almost finished the final episode, um, Exposed, the Kelly Lane oh, yeah. story. All right, I've watched all of that. Did you like it? 
Yeah, I loved it. It's really yeah. well done, isn't it? Kelly Lane, for anyone that doesn't know, it's the story where it was a very pro- high-profile case in Sydney sort of nearly 20 years ago. Actually, no, no, not that long, about 10. Um, it was a, a young woman who had had multiple pregnancies in secret, given yeah. away um, two children and a third Tegan Lane had never been able to be Born found a trace of. Has never been found. She Kelly Lane says that she the child's father took her away, um, but there was some holes in the story and she was convicted. Do you know there was a really interesting piece this week by uh, it was an interview of Dan Box, who's a really excellent reporter yeah. in Australian who did the Bowerville yeah. podcast, and he said, "I think we need to be very careful to not be treating true crime as entertainment." Yeah. Because it's not, because it's real people's lives. and Yeah, true. But, I mean, what I think is really interesting about podcasts that go back and look at these cases is that, look, it's done as entertainment, yes, in one sense, but it's also a really fascinating way of addressing the past. And I think the most striking thing about um, some of the recent podcasts, including um, uh, Teacher's Pet and – the one that I've just finished listening to – oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I've listened to two episodes of, um, which is the second series of the ABC's Unravel podcast. This is called Baron Joey Road, um, where a young reporter goes and investigates the disappearance of a young woman 40 years ago. Um, we think that she was abducted while she was hitchhiking home on Baron Joey Road in the Northern Beaches. Part of it is you, you um, look back at these crimes and – you're so startled by elements of the investigation and the attitudes that were prevalent at the time and the things that people could get away with and the things that wouldn't be investigated. Mm. And that is, um, I think, a really valuable thing to understand about how attitudes change. And it's important to know that in the past um, events were uh, interpreted in different ways. Like, for instance, in Teacher's Pet, like that a, a young mother could go missing with this, like, obvious suspect there in her husband and that the police wouldn't even investigate it for, for decades. Yeah. just tells you so much about um, the progression in our thinking about domestic violence, the way w- that we look out for people now where we might have let it sort of slip In times past. I I think think it's really valuable social history. And one of the things I find, I agree, and that I find... is a great example of this because it's like, you know, a really frightening example of, well, you know, how Indigenous kids' lives uh, were not viewed as as valuable as white kids' lives. One of the things I find, I I agree about the usefulness of it as social history, one of the things I find really interesting is with Exposed is that hearing the actual observations of people who at the time are not allowed to share their personal thoughts about yeah, the case. Yeah. Um, so one of the key police officers who was involved, or two actually of the key police who were involved, um, the head of the Department of Prose- Public Prosecutions, the New South Wales coroner at the time, like key players, she's really done a great job of landing yeah. all of them. Anthony Wheely, who was the judge yeah. on the case, um, who I have a lot of time for. I've covered a couple of stories where he's been the presiding judge, terrorism cases, and um, he's – got a lot of wisdom and he talked about how he couldn't believe that the prosecution as well as the murder charge put some perjury charges in yeah. which allowed them to raise the fact that there'd been these other children she'd given birth, right, to, birth yeah. to. And Wheelie said it really leapt out to me that these things had nothing to do yeah. with the murder charge yeah. but it was going to go to the heart of her credibility and I couldn't believe the defence didn't, didn't move to strike because yeah. they would have been struck because they were not relevant. And hearing her, hearing – because, I mean – 
the great thing about this series is that you're constantly hearing Kelly Lane's own voice in mm. these sort of six-minute bursts that, of phone calls that she's allowed to make from the correctional facility. It's just – it's quite extraordinary. Um, you can catch up with it on iView if you haven't been able to yeah, watch it. Yeah, you can. And on that note, I need to go to work. I know you do, love. So um, thank you for stopping by for a biscuit. Um, look, if you um, – we've for- rattled through a bunch of books and things um, – what the new exciting format is at www.chat10looks3.com is that um, there is now like a like a book stand there where you can go to the website, go to shop, and uh, everything that we've discussed, all of the books anyway, um, are listed and available right there. And if you are interested, you can just buy them right there because we are all about uh, helping you to fritter your money on worthwhile things like books. It's called The Bedside Table. So just click on Bookshop on their website and you'll find it. Actually looks like my bedside table. (laughs) See you next time.